Hey, today on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, we check in with Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service, who had the opportunity to go on a field trip with the DNR. You actually have two booms that come off the front of the boat, and there's four electrodes on each one. And what they're doing is they have a, a consistent DC current that's going into the water. That sounds interesting. And hey, it's also Lake of the Weekday. The bluegill are probably the, the, the higher quality. I, I think we had 26 bluegill per trap net in there and about 21 uh, pumpkin seed per trap net, and then there's hybrids of those. So uh, combined uh, all of the, uh, really the panfish or the uh, sunfish species combined to over 60 per net. It's all coming up on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Well, we're checking in with Jason Durham today because we are getting close to the muskie opener, and Jason had a great opportunity to hang out with the DNR when they were doing uh, muskie electrofishing a little bit earlier. First of all, Jason, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on, Kev. Well, we do have the muskie opener coming. You had a chance to see firsthand what's out there. Uh, Will there be muskies to catch this year? (laughs) Yes, there will be muskies to catch this year. Um, I helped the DNR last year doing some trap netting out on Mantrap Lake, and this year got the opportunity to do some electrofishing, which was such an incredibly educational experience. Uh, there, there were some misconceptions that I had about electrofishing. You know, you probably, you know, the listeners have probably seen these boats before, and you'll notice that off the front end of the boat, there's some cables that hang down, and I thought that that's how the electricity got into the water, but it's not. Those are actually anodes, because putting that electricity into the water, it would deteriorate the entire bottom of the boat. Oh. So those are anodes to prevent that, uh, but you actually have two booms that come off the front of the boat, and there's four electrodes on each one. And what they're doing is they have a, a consistent DC current that's going into the water, and, and it's really mild current, but the reason they use a DC current is because AC wavelengths would alert the fish and they get scared. But with that DC current, uh, you can drive right up to the fish. And we're doing all of this after dark. So the boat's got spotlights on it, and we're wearing rubber boots, rubber gloves. The net that we use is fiberglass because we are you know, messing with electricity. But once you come upon a fish, you've got about a six-foot area or so that uh, there's two pedals up in the bow of the boat, and you just step on this pedal, and it increases the current, and it, it disables the fish. Uh, they slip over, um, arc their backs, flare their gills. They almost look like they died. Hmm. Uh, and you just you, you net them, and it's really a coordinated effort between the driver of the boat and the, the people that are up in the bow of the boat doing this. Um, and then we get the fish on board, and it, it, it doesn't harm them. They're... The mortality rate is nothing, um, so we, we get all these fish back, and it disables them for a few minutes. So we put them into a live well on board the boat, take a measurement, determine if they're male or female, uh, and the way that they do that is they, uh, 
you know, gently squeeze the abdomen and, and look if eggs come out or milk comes out. Uh, because, you know, during this, this period, those fish are spawning. Then they take a scale sample uh, that they use for genetic testing, and they check to see if the fish is tagged or if it has any clipped fins, because uh, some of these stocked fish, they'll, they'll clip um, the vent fin, okay. and so you can see if it's been a stocked fish. Uh, but then they put in a subdermal tag, and this tag can be scanned, and a number actually comes up, and they can look at the previous history of the fish if it's been captured before. Wow. So, and the and the and the purpose for doing this is strictly for counting population, or what all are we trying to determine here? This, you know, there's a couple different things. One is uh, to get a, an approximate population. Uh, the other is to see, you know, growth rates of the fish, um, and to see if they're having, you know, mainly stocked fish that they're coming up with, or if they're having uh, natural reproduction. And what they found through these studies out there is that they actually have a lot better natural reproduction than they initially thought. So that's a good thing for the anglers. Oh, yeah. Um, and they're using their electronics to find where these fish are? No. Huh. So what, what they're doing, because we're, we're doing this after dark with you know, spotlights on the boat, we're each, we each have a, a handheld spotlight as well. We're doing it in very shallow water. So you're less than three feet deep. And you're just cruising along these shorelines, you know, physically looking for the fish. And once you come upon it, sometimes we have to circle the boat back and then go right on top of it. Uh, a friend of mine, Isaiah Hahn from UVet Guide Service down here in Park Rapids, he went two nights later, and they actually had uh, one point where they, they shot two muskies at the same time. Oh, wow. And, and so... Um just your impressions. What was it like? It was it was awesome. And what a lot of people don't realize is that really anybody can do this. These volunteer opportunities with the DNR are available, but a lot of people just don't realize that you can you can be a part of these studies. Um, I know a lot of times lakeshore owners like to, to help out because they want to see you know the fish that are in their lakes. The night that we went. We got six fish. Uh, we had four males and two females. The two females were 49 inches each. Uh, when Isaiah went two days later, they had one that was over 52 inches. Um, but the other thing that it proved to me, Kev, you could have the world's absolute best technology on your boat for finding fish and helping you catch fish, and the fish will always still have a chance because you still have human error that can play a role in this. And why I say that is we're using electricity, okay, to shock these fish, and there was still another four or five fish that we didn't get just due to human error. You know, maybe the boat was driving too fast. At one point, we had shot the muskie, you know, done this research on the fish, and started to travel again, and we saw one immediately, and we're both stomping on the pedal. Uh, but the electricity hadn't been turned back on because you disable it as you're handling the fish, so uh, we make sure that we're protected too. Right. Huh. The fish will always have a chance. <laughs> well, you know what? They they do seem to continue to win occasionally. That's a fact. <laughs> Especially when you're talking about musk. Yes. I mean, you you and I both know the fish of ten thousand casts. There's a lot of things you can do to reduce the numbers of times. 
you're casting to catch that fish, but it's elusive. It's not an easy fish to catch. And uh, and you were were you on Man Trap? We were on Big Man Trap Lake. Yeah. Okay. That lake has really come into its own the last probably five to ten years. Well, you know what has had the biggest impact on that fishery is back in 1980 when they stocked Leech Lake strain muskies in there because that genetic strain grows a lot larger and a lot faster, and that's why we're seeing the trophy-sized fish out there. Um, was there anything that surprised you? Uh, not, not necessarily that surprised me. Um, it was, it was, there was definitely a learning curve there uh, because I thought that, the pedal on one side of the boat just operated the electrodes on that side for a while. Um, there was a point where we drove over a fish, and I didn't shock it. And I said, I don't, I don't think it was a musky. I think it was a northern. And they said, well, if you're ever in doubt, shock them anyway, because they're, it's not going to harm the fish. And if it's a northern, we just release it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I did ask, though. I asked them, do you ever have anything else that you accidentally shock? while you're doing this, like a duck or a beaver or muskrat, and they said, yeah, beavers and muskrats sometimes get in, into that electricity, and what they do is they just curl up into a ball, and as soon as you let off the pedal, they just swim away right away. With the muskies, it takes them a few minutes to really recover, um, and sometimes you have to spend some time with them in the water, just not moving them. You know, years ago, when you catch a big fish, you'd move it back and forth in the water, that's not what the fish needs, and sometimes that can actually uh, rupture uh, some of the blood cells. So really all you need to do is hold the fish still. They just need a chance to rest, and that's what I saw you know, that night that we were out, and that's what all anglers should do, whether it's a muskie or a big walleye or whatever fish you're releasing. What's the purpose of having to go out after dark? You can see them a lot easier. Oh, is that, that's really what it comes down to? Yep, Okay. Plain and simple. Um, if, if any of the listeners have ever gone uh, bull fishing uh, for rough fish, uh, that's when you do that, too. You do it after dark because you can illuminate everything and just see it so much easier. Much more musky talk with Jason Durham coming up. Musky opener is Saturday, you know. And it's like the weekday, too. Some people fish, some people don't. Those people are clueless. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Talking musky with Jason Durham. He was out electrofishing with the DNR to find out how things are going on Big Man Trap. From your observation, uh, obviously it sounds like we're, we're in good shape on Big Man Trap. We kind of knew that anyway. The population estimate that they gave me is there's about one fish for every three acres of water out there. And and when I say that one fish per three acres, it's one fish over thirty inches per three acres. So okay. that's a, that's a pretty pretty solid estimate. And is that what they want? What they're looking for? It is, but you know, muskies are managed as a trophy fish. Nobody's keeping a muskie to eat. Right. Uh, you've got a minimum size that you can keep now of fifty four inches. Years ago. In our area, in 1976, in the, the Fuller's Bait and Tackle Golden Book, where they kept records of all the fish that were entered in the bait shop for their weekly contest, in that year, the biggest muskie in our area was 17 pounds, 11 ounces. 
Really? Today's, by today's standard, if somebody caught a muskie that was 17 pounds, 11 ounces, you'd say, well, that was a small one. Yeah. But really, the, the whole uh, platform and shape of muskie fishing in our entire state has really changed and grown over the years. Boy, it certainly has. That's that's really amazing. They were basically like a, a bigger northern in those days. In those days it was, and not to mention back then, it, it was common practice to catch a muskie and eat it. Right. People, people didn't think of catching them. They were fishing for food. But today, and by the management of the DNR, we have the opportunity to do for muskie fishing. That's pretty cool. Any anything else you want us to know about that uh, that field trip? If you <laughs> the, the field trip, uh, they did a study. Uh, this was a couple of years ago that was really interesting, where they actually captured the fish by electrofishing and inserted a transmitter that would be expelled when they spawn, so then they could see the exact areas where these fish were laying their eggs, and then that helped uh, to guide where they would go in the future track down these fish when they want to capture them and see how their growth rates are. Okay. They're pretty happy with the growth rates on Big Man Trap? Sounds like they've got some nice ones. They're very happy with the growth rates. The other thing I should add, you know, with all these lights that they've got on the boat, they have to let the Sheriff's Department know that they're going to be going out to do this because it's very common that the Police Department gets calls uh, that there's some unidentified object out on the lake. <laughs> I imagine they people, would get those. <laughs> people have actually called them and said, I think there's a UFO out on the lake. <laughs> nope, just the DNR. <laughs> just, just, just the people working to help us get more and bigger fish. Yes. Well, as long as I have you on the line, let's uh, let's talk what's been going on uh, over in the Park Rapids area the last couple of weeks. You know, the fishing's been pretty good overall. Uh, the crappies have really been the, the highlight of everything. The water temperature's still, you know, really cool for this time of year. We're talking mid-50s yet, but it's hard It's hard to get warmer water when you, you hit, like, a high of 53 for the day. Uh, the weather, looking forward, is going to be consistent and a lot warmer. I think within just a couple days, the, the lakes are going to absolutely ignite in terms of the bite. This is one of the best times of the year to get out there. People just need to make the opportunity to do it. Okay. Yeah, it, it, we're going to get a nice little warm-up this week. That should really trip a lot of triggers. Yeah, we've got species like largemouth bass right now that are, are still spawning. Uh, smallmouth bass, we don't even have males that are on the bed yet. So we are quite a ways behind schedule. Mother Nature is really good about keeping things in check, and I think this warm-up that we have is going to start that whole reproduction process for a few different species of fish. All right. Well, if we were going out fishing this weekend, um, what what would you recommend we go after? Well, I tell you what, the numbers of big walleyes that I'm starting to see is impressive. So, I and you know, Minnesota is the walleye state, so... I would spend some time fishing walleyes. Uh, I would also play around with the bass a little bit. Make sure, though, because they're spawning, you know, make sure you release them and that you're gentle with them in the boat. Um, keep them wet. Don't lay them on the carpet. Be kind to them. Get them back in the water. Uh, but I'd also start 
targeting some of those panfish too. Obviously, those female crappies, if they're still on the beds and spawning, let them go. Let let them reproduce. You can always catch, you know, some males or find uh, some fish that are a little bit deeper that are finished spawning. And really, I talk about this a lot, kids. Our, our limits in Minnesota are very liberal. And yeah. to, to put together a meal of fish doesn't take that much. So if you do get on a really good bite, you don't have to keep your limit. It's not mandatory. With crappies, for instance, I always say one to one and a half fish per person that you're going to feed, and you're going to be just fine. Okay. Yes, it's a, it is not a mandatory maximum. No. <laughs> and sometimes when people get on a really strong bite, they feel like that's what their goal should be. But really, you know, the best fish are the ones that you eat immediately after cleaning them without freezing them. So, yeah, don't don't be a glutton. You don't need to be. All right. Hey, Jason, if people want to use your services, how do we get a hold of you? Well, you can find me on the social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can find me online at go-fish-guide.com or just Google me. And you can always reach me on my cell phone, which is area code 218-252-2278. All right, Jason, thanks for your time today. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Jeff. And you know what? To all these listeners that are heading out fishing this week, school's out for a lot of uh, for a lot of kids. If you got a neighbor or a friend or a nephew or a niece that wants to get out fishing, if you've got the space in the boat, put them on board. Take the kids fishing. Amen, brother. Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. Lake of the weekday, lake of the weekday, lake of the weekday, holy cow. Lake of the Weekday, once again, we're checking in with Gary Barnard, the Area Fisheries Manager out of the Bemidji Area Office. And, uh, Gary, today we're going to talk about Stump Lake. And I, my question for you right off the bat is, what makes it a lake rather than just a wider part of the river? Well, it's actually, uh, uh, technically it's a reservoir because it's created by the Outer Tail Power Dam. So okay. um, that's what we call it. It's it's a lake. Um uh, you know, flowing water would be the river, and uh, when you when you uh, put in a dam and and back it up, you create a reservoir. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, essentially part of the Mississippi River. And uh, from the stories I've heard, I actually have not fished up there yet, and I need to because I hear that it's just some great fun fishing up in that area. Yeah, um, Stump Lake's it's kind of nice. You know, it's connected to Bemidji, and actually, that's that's how most people get into Stump Lake is from Bemidji. But uh, it's totally different habitat than Bemidji. Um, Bemidji's a big windswept walleye perch type lake, and uh, and Stump is much more of a panfish, um, bluegill crappie bass type of uh, habitat. Um, shallow water. It is 300 acres that we consider part of Stump Lake, <clears throat> but. Uh, the shallow water and the vegetation and, the, you know, protected from the wind and just makes it uh, excellent panfish habitat. Yeah, that, and that's interesting because usually, you know, when, when you're going up and down a river, that's, you know, walleyes are actually river fish, but in this particular case, it, it works out better for panfish. <clears throat> yeah, walleyes are, are river fish, and they, they will move into stump at, um, at some times, but uh, it doesn't seem to hold walleyes uh, to the to the level of uh, some other connected waters upstream. So, um, 
We'll see them usually uh, less than a walleye per net lift when we do use gill nets in there. We've kind of gone away from uh, even evaluating the the walleye population in there. We've gone away from the gill nets and just kind of target the panfish because that's what it's known for. So most of the surveys you'll see on Lake Finder are just uh, trap net surveys looking at that and maybe a little electrofishing to look at the uh, bass population as well. So I know we got lots of bluegill in there. Um, what about the other panfish? Um, well, there's crappies. Um, there's okay. there's pumpkin seeds present. Um, the bluegill are probably the the, the higher quality. I, I think we had 26 bluegill per trap net in there, and about 21 uh, pumpkin seed per trap net. And then there's hybrids of those. So uh, combined, uh, all of the uh, really the panfish or the um, sunfish species combined to over 60 per net so you can see oh, wow. it's, a, it's a pretty good population of, of uh, sunfish in there and, and good quality uh, good numbers over nine inches that's always uh, kind of the benchmark so uh, for anglers all right well i know that two years ago when we had the Bassmasters college championships here and a lot of people went up that uh, river up towards uh, stump um is there good bass fishing up there yeah, there is, and you're right. Most of the uh, most of the bass that were registered in that tournament were uh, either out of Stump Lake or up in uh, connected up in Irving there. But uh, um, a, a good portion of them came from Stump, and you know people have known about that that bass fishing to some extent. It just it takes a little while to get there, but it's probably probably worth the time if you're interested in bass. And there's there's some pretty nice habitat down in there. There's a uh, Kind of that that winding river, that that flooded river basin. So you've got the the deeper water gets about 24 feet deep in the in the channel, but then all the um, the flooded bays back in there that are excellent habitat. I know it's at least somewhat developed up there, but uh, one of the things I've I always enjoy is is riding up and down a river, and uh, that's that's kind of to me one of the real charms of a lake like Stump Lake is you just get to to get that nice little trip up the river. Yeah, it is, and you know, uh, you know, people will do it in their in their uh, fishing boats, but there there's an awful lot of people that do that as a canoe trip. You can uh, launch in Bemidji somewhere, or even at the uh, at the outlet of Bemidji where um, um, railroad bridge crosses the old trail there, um, and just take the canoe down through Stump Lake, fish it on the way down. You can pull out at the power dam down there. So that, that's a that's an excellent trip and a, and a good way to go. Uh, access those panfish does it get a lot of pressure well not a lot you know it's the the difficulty getting there and i think that's what's kept the uh the panfish quality as good as it is too uh um so probably limited fishing pressure but uh, a real quality experience when you do get there absolutely and and i'm thinking most lakes should be able to traverse its way through the river not a problem or most boats. Oh, yeah. Most boats, yeah. Yeah, the the restriction is usually just, you know, getting under the bridge there in the spring, sometimes uh, at the outlet of Bemidji. Sometimes that plugs up a little with vegetation, but uh, the trails crew does a good job of getting that open in the spring so people can get down there. And uh, um, there is a speed limit people should be aware of, you know, if you're going down there that uh, there's a five-mile-per-hour speed limit. So it's going to be a slow trip, but uh, take in the scenery on the way down and back. Yeah, absolutely, and and um, I'm assuming most of that, if not all of that, uh, population in there is is all natural population. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, we don't uh, we don't do any stocking in there, and in fact, even the Bemidji walleye population is natural. So the the walleyes that uh, that'll show up down there are natural as well. It's it's got some pike, you know. Um, we don't like I say we're not commonly using gill nets in there to assess the population, so we don't have any hard pike numbers. But I know they're they're present in there. They tend to be a little bit smaller down there because. Uh, that habitat just supports small fish a little better, and the, the big fish like to hang out up in Bemidji. But uh, right. um, even even muskies, don't be surprised to see a muskie in there because of nope. the Bemidji connection. Okay, all right. Anything else about stump I need to know? Well, it's got some real trophy bullheads, both brown <laughs> and yellow. <laughs> large, large bullheads. Uh, they, uh, they're in there, and they're feeding on the, on the real uh, prevalent panfish population, so 15-inch bullheads, and it's interesting, there are people that actually target them, and uh, that's that's one of the places I tell them when they want to find nice bullheads. So. Okay, well, I'll pass that on to all my Iowa friends. There you go. <laughs> they all seem to like bullheads. Uh, yeah. Gary, <laughs> Gary Vardart is the area fisheries manager out of the Bemidji office, talking about Stump Lake, a, a real neat little jewel we have in our neck of the woods. Of course, there are yeah, a lot... It's a nice one. I have to remind people that it's also considered infested waters now with the uh, zebra mussel uh, uh, infestation in Bemidji. So people should be aware of that and and, uh, clean, drain, and dry when you're going to other waters. Okay, good point, Gary. Thanks for that, and thanks for your time today. All right, thank you, Kevin. Now we're going fishing for Bunyan Country.